for real this time. If you just got on, feel yourself lucky for missing the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the is that the whole booklet? Okay, awesome. Uh, so, yes. Okay, good, good. Um, today we we've done this a couple times where we've gone through the mystical teachings. So, so you'll need the booklet, not the book. Uh, we've gone through the mystical teachings, and uh, I try. And as you may have seen in today's email, it's about this week's parasha. And this week's Torah portion, we have Jacob is about to pass away in the land of Egypt. His 12 sons surround him, and he blesses each and every single one. He gives each and every single one of them a blessing. He gives a special blessing to each and every single one of his sons. And it actually mirrors very much what happens in the end of Deuteronomy, where Moses gives a blessing to each and every single one of the tribes. So again, here, Jacob is giving a blessing to each and every single one of the tribes, but as they're still alive as a, as a single individual. And Moses, at the end of the Torah, many years later, will give a blessing to uh, each and every single one of the tribes. As we will discover today's blessing, which we're going to focus on the blessing to Judah, we will come to understand the meaning of Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Those are the first four children of Jacob, and they are also the first four children of Leah. So they were the sons of Leah. So, uh, right, remember, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He first ended up marrying Leah. Leah was, to begin with, felt very hated, very not wanted. Jacob never wanted to marry her. That's going to play a role in what we're going to discuss today. And when you look in the Torah, every single time she named one of her children, she gave a reason. And a lot of it had to do with her relationship with her husband. And names have meaning. You know, a lot of times people ask, you know, what's the meaning of this name? What's the meaning of the name uh, Joseph? What's the meaning of the name uh, Judah? You know, all names have meaning and Judaism is no exception. And today we're going to learn the deep meaning of each and every single one of these names, but not just meaning as, you know, meaning, oh, love of God or, you know, uh, it's going to be meaning in how it plays out in our lives. And this is based on the Hasidic concept, which the Ragachav Gon actually describes very well. And he says that we have to understand that the stories of the Torah, why is it the Torah is eternal? One way of understanding the Torah is eternal is that if you read the ancient stories, there are lessons for today's life. Hasidic philosophy and the Ragachav and others explain it's even further than that. It's even more than that. It's not that they are ancient stories that we can learn from. Torah eternal means that it's happening every single moment. The stories of the Torah are actually happening right now. The story of Joseph, when we read the story of Joseph, it's a story that happened many years ago, we can learn a lesson from it. It's actually happening right now on a certain sphere, in a certain plane. When we understand the spiritual level of everything, then the Torah becomes more applicable. So again, people think the mystical ideas of the Torah are like far out there. Well, maybe that's one way of learning mysticism. But when you learn mysticism, as we're going to learn it today, you will actually learn that the stories and people and names in the Torah actually become more applicable to our lives because they're not just names of people that happened many years ago, but they are ideas uh, that are actually happening right now within our lives. So even more than ideas, I don't know what other word I would use, but they are concepts. It's the same thing as ideas, just a fancier word. Uh, the story repeats itself. The story repeats itself, not just <laughs> in a uh, historical background, right? Like, so like hatred of the Jew, Jews repeats itself, right? More than that, um, right? That's one but way that, people look that at it. That doesn't repeat it. 
has start and it has and it hasn't ended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hatred of the Jews doesn't repeat; it just hasn't ended, right? Um, yeah, cyclical. Huh? Cyclical. Cyclical. Yeah. So uh, once we have an appreciation for Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Huda, today you will learn, you will understand better what it means to daven. More specifically, within davening, you'll understand better the blessings of the Shema, the Shema itself, and the Amida, and how you go about the rest of your day. So this is the beauty of understanding the mystical meaning of the Torah. One other thing I want to point out, a very big difference between mysticism and the revealed parts of Torah, like let's say the Talmud or the Mishnah. The Talmud, the Mishnah, the Code of Jewish Law, when you get to the revealed parts of Torah, to law, it's, it's always proving everything, okay? Everything has to be proven. Questions are in order for you to get to the final understanding. So, for example, you've been studying um the laws of uh, uh, blessings on certain foods and, and you'll always be challenged well how do you know it's like this how do you know it's like that and you have to work your way around it kabbalah is very different the word kabbalah means received which means that how do we know something that's been the received tradition okay through divine inspiration rabbi shimon bar yuchai and the kabbalists received these um teachings and that is why generally when you look throughout uh kabbalistic teachings and hasidic philosophy there are a lot less arguments there's a lot less back and forth a lot less proving um a lot less questions because that's the, the meaning of kabbalah kabbalah means it's a received teaching and so you will see throughout what we're going to study today sometimes verses that are you might think they're trying to prove a point and you'd be like well how is that a proof so actually they're not actually there to prove a point they're actually there to show you that what we are saying expresses itself in this verse or expresses itself in that verse. In other words, there's a truth, and this truth expresses itself here. This truth expresses it there. And what I really love about mysticism and Jewish mysticism is, is it shows the unity within Torah, how uh, the details and why things are written the way they are and 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 um, uh, how everything just, it's, to me, it just seems to make so much more sense. You know, it's just like, the Torah is really written very oddly when you think about it. Verses are written very oddly. When you study Hasidic philosophy, uh, all the verses suddenly make more sense at the, at the, at the you know, the way they're written and the way they're formed. One example which we'll explore today would be the Moda'ani. Moda'ani, really in Hebrew should be Ani Moda'. Ani Moda'a, I admit. Lefanech um, in front of you, God. Okay, really, that's the way it should be written. But instead, we say modani. So we're going to get it. We're going to get into it. Maybe we won't. I'm not sure. But that's just one example of where uh, some things can be better understood through uh, mysticism. All right. Any questions or comments? I hope not, because I haven't really said anything. I've no. just given an introduction. Okay. Oh, one more introduction I have to give you. One more important thing we have to know how Hebrew language works. Hebrew language works with a concept called shoresh. Shorish means the root of the word. Root of the word means, in Hebrew, um, the prefix and a suffix of a word are full words in English, right? So, uh, uh, the, uh, like the letter vav could be and. Uh, you know, the ending being plural, singular. So, a lot of words that seem different in Hebrew are actually all the same word, just with different prefixes and suffixes. So, for example, the word mode also shares a root with the word ode, which shares a word root with the word Yehuda, as we'll discuss. So the same, it can be, it's really the same word, different different prefixes and suffixes. 
And that's going to be very important as we will explore throughout the class. So what did I tell you so far? What were my introductions? I don't even remember, but I think I gave you the background of the story of Jacob and Judah. Sorry, of Jacob and his children blessing his children. I gave you the background of how Hasidic philosophy or really mysticism general looks at the Torah and that all the stories are repeating themselves. And through discovering the mystical meaning of our Torah portion, we will have something that we can live with every single day. And I discussed how Hebrew has root words. I think I said some other stuff, but that's what I'm going to leave for now for my summary of my introduction. So we're going to start today with a verse. And if you have, I'm going to share it on the screen. But uh, if you're here in person, you'll go to page three. Okay. And let me get on the Zoom. Let me share the screen. Uh, share, 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 share. By the way, this is this is going to be, I'm hoping I'm going to make it simple enough. I'm hoping it's going to be uh, something that everybody can follow. If if you start to get lost, let me know. I may not be able to help, but we'll see. I, I'm really hoping, I really think that I got it down pat to explain it in a way that you can all follow. So here's what goes on. The Torah says, this is the blessing of Jacob to Judah. This is at the top of the page. Yehuda, ata yaducha achecha. No, that's better. Okay. So he says like this, Judah, your brothers will be submissive to you. Your hand will be at the back of the neck of your enemies. The children of your father will bow to you. Now, I won't always read the Hebrew. I just wanted to give you the first verse. Um, so this is the blessing of Judah. Your brothers will be submissive to you, right? As we know, later on, he would become the king and then, and David, his child will become the king. And then he says, your hand will be at the back of the neck of your enemies. The children of your father will bow to you. So ultimately saying, basically, you will be the king and you'll be able to rule over all your enemies. That's who Judah is. Okay, that's his blessing. But let's first start with the name Yehuda. <coughs> Yehuda, as I said, has a root word. It has the same, now if you look, Earlier in the Torah, Leah gave a reason why she named Yehuda. What did she say? She said, Hapam Hashem. Now I will thank God. Right? She said, Now that I have four children, I will thank God. Right? That's what she says. So Yehuda means to be thankful. However, what I want to point out is the word Ode or Mode or Yehuda, these are all the same words, actually means not just to be thankful. So when we say moda ani, I am thankful to you, it actually means more than just thankful. I pulled up one article over here uh, from online. Of course, it doesn't prove the point, but it's just telling what it says. Uh, the word moda actually can mean three things. It can mean um, to thank or gratitude. It can mean admit or submission. Um, and finally, it can mean devotion. Okay, so again, the word moda can mean many, many different things. And we're going to discover that in our lives, um, we're, we have all of these three things. Moda means we are both thankful to God, we submit ourselves to God, as we'll describe a little bit later, and we have devotion to God. We want to get all three of those things. It's kind of an interesting word. It's like a lot of words in Hebrew that are hard to translate. So moda is one of those words that are hard to translate. You, you can't really pin it down to one meaning. 
if you look throughout uh, scripture, you will find the word moda to be used in all these different ways. For example, when we say modim anachnu lach, when we say in the prayer, right? Modim anachnu lach is the modim prayer. For those who read the Siddur, right? Modim anachnu lach. How does modim translate? What do we say in the Siddur? Thanks we give to you. Yeah. Some other places say we submit ourselves. We actually bow, mm -hmm. right? So modim anachnu lach. We, we are thankful, but others translate it as we submit ourselves to you. Um, so again, if you look throughout scripture, you will find it being used. Oh, here, it uses both. We thankfully acknowledge. Mm. So it's acknowledgement, which is also admission or submission. So again, it's a very interesting word. But regardless, we're not going to focus on the meaning of Yehuda too much right now. Um, right here, he brings Modem Anachnullah. Okay, but he says something very interesting. So he says like this. He says, our soul, our soul is always in a constant level of moda to Hashem. Our soul is always feeling submissive, thankful, and acknowledging and devotion to Hashem. It's always feeling that. However, as Leah says, hapam odet Hashem, right now I will thank God. What does Leah mean? That although our soul always feels this thankfulness and submission to God, we down here in this earth, we don't always feel it, right? Do you always feel gratitude towards God? Yes. Yeah, always? Okay, you're pretty good. You always feel submission <laughs> towards God and devotion, right? We don't always feel that. Because our soul is in our body, we have another thing called an animal soul, which we discussed in the Tanya class. So we don't always feel um, so close to God, right? Nevertheless, in heaven, our soul does feel close to God all the time. And that's actually what the word Yehuda means, mystically. Uh, Rashi explains that the letter Yud shows that something is constant. So Yehuda refers to the level of our soul that is constantly thanking God. But down here in this earth, although our soul is always thanking God, now it's only sometimes. It's only sometimes feeling gratitude, sometimes feeling submission, sometimes feeling devotion towards God. Okay, so we're going to put that to the side because we're going to focus more again on Yehuda at the end. We're going to have a whole middle part. Basically, what we're going to get to is that ultimate submission to God, Yehuda, only comes after the first three kids. In other words, just as physically, Yehuda comes after Reuven, Shimon, Levi, right? Reuven, Simeon, Levi, okay? Just as physically, Judah only comes after the first three kids. Spiritually also, in order to get to a complete level of submission, admission, devotion, gratitude towards God, it requires us to first have Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. Okay? And, um, and that is why, he's explaining here mystically, that's why when Leah names Judah, she says, Hapam now I will thank God. I, I spoke about this in, in my class. I think I asked the question on a simple level. I says, what does it mean now she's thankful towards God? She wasn't thankful for the first son. She wasn't thankful for the second son. She wasn't thankful for the third son. She wasn't, oh, only the fourth son. She says, God, thank you so much, right? What does that mean? So again, there are answers on the simple level. But again, it's a, it's a good question, right? What, is, what, what does Leah mean? God, now, now, it's one thing she says, God, I'm going to name him Yehuda because thank you so much. No, she says, now I will thank you. But mystically, we understand why she's saying, now I will thank you. 
Because only now, after Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, can I reach this level of Judah, which we will explain. This is what he says. I know. After you have the birth of Reuven and Shimon and Levi, and birth mystically means something coming revealed, right? Before birth, it's hidden. After birth, it's revealed. So mystically, when you say something is born, that means it's revealed. It was always there before, but now it's revealed. When you have Reuben, Shimon, and Levi revealed in your life, when you will embody Reuben, and Shimon, and Levi in your life, then you will get to the level of Yehuda. And that's what it means. Yoducha achecha, your brothers will cause your thankfulness or your gratitude or your submission to be expressed. All right. So to summarize what we said till now, our soul in heaven is at this lofty level of Yehuda, which we're going to explain a little bit later, but let us say for now it has three translations, gratitude, submission, and devotion. Currently down here on this earth, we don't always feel that. We don't always feel that because, um, not because we're humans. We get involved in other things. Our, 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 we don't always feel our soul all the time. How do we get to a level where we will feel that level of Yehuda? That is first through having Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi, the first three sons that came before Judah. And that is why Leah says, now I will thank God. Meaning now, after I've had Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, now we are ready for the level of Yehuda. So now we are going to spend time explaining what is Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. Any questions or comments? Or if you're super confused? No. No? Okay, hopefully it was... Uh... I'm just a normal amount confused. Just a normal amount confused. Okay. <laughs> Not super confused. Okay, good, good. I'm uh, glad. Okay. So we are now, if you're using the papers, we are now on page, uh, page, um, oh, no. bottom of page six. Okay. This is like this. We're going to, we have to go back to Leah. Leah is the one that named all our kids. What was the reason for the name Ruvain? What does she say? You have here in the text. She said, um, Reuven. Oh, sorry. That was later on. Um, she says, let me, uh, I should pull up. Uh, I should pull up a Torah over here. Yeah. Well, she says, she says a couple things. She, she actually says it twice. So if you look in Genesis 29, 32. She actually gives two things uh, for why she calls him Ruben. Huh? Well, there's, there, there's a Rashi. So 29.32. So it says, Vatahar Leah. Leah uh, became pregnant. Vatela Bain. And she gave birth. Vatikrashmo Ruvain. She says, she called him Ruvain. Ki Amra. Because she said, Ki Ra'a Hashem Ba'anyi. Hashem saw in my sorrow. Ki Ata Yehavani Ishi. And now my husband will love me. Right? But Rashi says in the word Reuven, Reuven. She called her his name Reuven. What does the name Reuven mean? It means Reuven, see my son, see how special he is. And then she continued to say, as the verse says, and she was hoping that her husband would also notice her son and uh and uh love her. But the point is the name Reuven comes from the word Reu, seeing. Okay, seeing is important. Why is seeing important? So, I guess I have to, before we move on, again, so again, Reuven is seeing. 
we're going to explain what does seeing mean mystically. Um, so let me just, uh, let me put it this way. Has anybody ever seen like the mystical uh, tree, right? The different uh, sphero, the different, yeah. You've ever seen it? There's a right, a left, and a center, okay? So you have on the right side, you have what's called chesed, kindness. You have on the left side what's called givura, severity. Okay, the right side also chesed, kindness, corresponds to um, love. The left side, givura, severity, also corresponds to fear. Okay. And then you have the middle, you know, the cap, the Kabbalah. You have the two sides and then you have the middle where there's a beautiful mixture of the two. Now, you may be guessing already, Ruven and Shimon and Levi are going to be these three. Ruven is going to be the right. That's the first level. Shimon's going to be the left. And Levi is going to be the bottom middle. You know, the fusion of the two. Then you may say, where's Judah? Okay, don't worry about it. Um, why is the right kindness? Because there's a verse that says, Yemin mikareves, the right hand brings close. Usmol docha and the left pushes away. What that means is what we love is on the right, our heart. Our heart. Well, not our heart, but what you love you bring close, right is what you want to bring close. Left are things that you want to leave out, so to speak. It's a secondary in your life you want to leave out. Now in this discourse, he's also going to explain that seeing is love and hearing is fear. Why is seeing love and hearing is fear? Um, think about it like this. Um when you see something, you're usually close to it. When you hear something, that usually means you're far from it. The reason why you don't see it and you're only hearing it is because you're far, right? Mm -hmm. Now, things that you love, usually you get close to. Things that you fear, you go farther. And actually also in life in general, also you, you find that um, uh, something that you hear, you're more likely to be afraid of. You don't actually see it. When you see something, right? They say half of the... Uh, Half of the healing is seeing the problem, right? Doctors say this all the time, right? If you can diagnose something, if you can see something, there's less to be afraid of. When we don't see something, we just hear it. In other words, it's distant. We're not understanding it. We don't fully grasp what it is. That's fear. So again, seeing implies that you're close. That's love. Being far is fear. He's actually going to give an interesting example later on. When God came on Mount Sinai and he showed himself to the Jewish people, the Jewish people, what did they experience? Did they experience love or fear? Yeah. They experienced yeah. fear, right? The they experienced fear, right? And so what did they do? It says they jumped back. And they told Moses, we don't want to see this anymore. We just want to hear from you. In other words, they had a level of fear. Fear. They want to hear. They don't want to see God. It was too much. If they would have wanted to see God, that means they would have been in a level of love. They weren't at a level of love. They were at a level of fear. So when God showed himself, like, ah, they backed off. Like, you know, let me get away. Um, so all this is to say that seeing implies closeness and love. And hearing implies being far, which is fear. Okay? And uh, this is why Reuven which means seeing corresponds to the right, which is love. And Shimon, which we're going to explain, comes from shim, uh, Shama, hearing, Shimon, Shema, hearing is the left, which is going to be fear. 
Now he's going to bring over here a couple examples where we see this being played out in verses. We're seeing, you see in the verses, is, um, is love and is the right side. So it says in the book of Ezekiel, it says, it says that in the chariot of God, the face of the lion is to the right. Now, the letters for Aryeh lion also are the same letters of the Hebrew word re'iyah, which means to see. So here again, you see re'iyah seeing is on the right. He brings one other proof over here. And uh, you're on page, we're on page seven over here. His other proof is uh, the when the Jewish people traveled in the uh, camp, um, in the, sorry, when the Jewish people traveled in the desert, Reuven, the camp of Reuven, was on the south side of the Mishkan, which is also the right side, because when you're facing east, the south will be on your right. Yes? Yes. Naughty elephants squirt water, right? right? <laughs> that's how I remember it. I know there's another one, but that's, that's what sticks in my mind. So here are just two verses that point to the idea that Ruvain is on the right and seeing is love. Okay. Now he's going to develop. Uh, here's another verse where seeing is love. There's a verse that says, God says in Hosea, like a ripe fig on a tree. This is page eight. Like a ripe fig on a tree. In its beginning, I saw your forefathers. This is a verse where God is describing his great love for us. And God was saying, I saw your forefathers like a ripe fig on a tree. So again, God pointing out how much he loved us. Um, and when we imply God's love to us, God employs the word seeing, right? Something that you see, you love. You just want to, you know, you don't want to take your eyes out. And um, this is the meaning also in the verse when Leah names her son, she says, God saw in my pain, and now my husband will love me. What does that mean? See, love. If they're seeing, there's love. It's exactly what Leah was saying. Now, how does this apply to us? All this is about how Leah was hoping for love, how God loves us when he sees us. What does it mean for us to love God when we see him? Okay, so again, so far we've explained the idea. Okay, Ruvain means seeing, and seeing is love, and love is closeness. I got it, great. But how do I translate this into my life? Okay, I can't see God in the physical sense, so how am I expected to love God? And so here he's going to explain that what does it mean to see God? And he says seeing God means the aspect of gazing at the glory of the king, God. So gazing at God, what does that mean? Meaning to awaken the love for Hashem until it brings the person to a true inner desire to connect to him. His idea is that if we look at the greatness of God long enough, then we will come to love him. In other words, we can't actually physically see God. However, by focusing on God, maybe you come to a course called My God, by focusing on God, you can come to love God. But in but this is really how our prayers start. Our prayers actually start trying to awaken our love to God by, quote-unquote, seeing God. And this is what, what he says. This is, it, is this, it is regarding this matter that they established to, to recite the Pesuket de Zimra and the Yotzer or before reciting Shema in order that one should come to fulfill the command you should love Hashem, which is stated in the Shema. So again, seeing is love. If you want to see God, take a sitter. Right when you start in the beginning from Hodu. 
it's all wonderful praises of God and describing God and the creation and God and the angels, all ways of looking at the greatness of God. What's the purpose? Because the first step of prayer is reuven, seeing God. What is seeing God? Looking at the greatness of God. Through seeing the greatness of God, we are able to come to love God. And then he continues. Let's read over here the commentary. Here. The Psuke de Zimra, that's the first part of the prayers, are verses mainly from Psalms that describe how Hashem takes care of everyone and runs the world and makes miracles for us. Yotzer Or, which is the first blessings of the Shema, described by the sun and the moon and other heavenly bodies, are all angels praising Hashem. When we contemplate, I'm on page, uh, I'm on page nine, by the way, when we contemplate on the above themes, this brings us to love God. And as he continues, for the main purpose of recounting the praises of Hashem, is that it is not enough to only to have a knowledge of Hashem in the back of the mind, since then it is hidden in our sages, say a thief when he is about to tunnel into someone's house to rob him, will pray to Hashem to succeed in his robbery. So what he's saying here is like this. He's saying, why do you need to read the praises of God? Whatever you're reading, you know it. In fact, you read it yesterday and the day before and the day before. Why are you reading the prayers every single day the same thing? It says because what you know about God is not seeing God. Again, we have to get to the point where we see God. If you want to get love of God, you got to see him. If you've got to see him, you've got to be front and center of your mind. Knowledge about God does not bring you to love God. And he brings a proof. The Talmud says, a thief will pray to God for success before he goes and attacks. Right. Before he goes in his tunnel to, to break into your house, he says, God, please let me be successful in my, uh, in my Parnassa. Right? He says, God, please, I need Parnassa too. Good evening, Rick. Um, Good evening. All this is, good evening. All this is to say that as long as your knowledge about God is left in the back of your mind, not front and center, then you're not seeing God. And if you're not seeing God, you're not going to come to love him. You have to bring it to the forefront of your mind. That's the purpose of prayer. It's not to tell you something you don't know. It's to help you focus on something that you do already know. And as he, he continues over here, and he will not come to fulfill the commandment of you shall love Hashem unless his knowledge of Hashem comes from the hidden subconscious to the revelation of his conscious mind and from consciously knowing it to actually seeing it, which is the full revelation of the person that is referred to as specifically gazing at the glory of the king. Right? As he explains it here, let's look in the commentary. In short, a person's knowledge of something can exist in three levels. One, subconsciously, like a thief's knowledge of Hashem that motivates him to pray for success in robbing. Two, Conscious effort to understand an idea, like one who understands a teaching of mysticism well enough to repeat to someone else who is unfamiliar with the concept, right? So sometimes we can know concepts enough to repeat it to someone else. But then there's three, gazing at idea until the person loses himself in the concept and it takes him over as it were. Anybody's ever studied for a uh, college exam? We'll probably know this. Obviously, I can tell you, you know, Torah studies, but, in, you know, you study for a college exam, I'm imagining you're suddenly living and breathing the concept, the topic. It's you're not just like it's like wherever you walk, you see uh, I don't know whatever it is that you're studying. You see it everywhere, right? You're, you're living and breathing that. It, it, it's it's you're not separated from. It's not like a concept or even a concept you can explain to somebody. You are living in it. You see it in front of you everywhere you go. This is what it means when we study about God. When we read the praises about God in the beginning of Sukkot Zimra, we should be reading it like we're like we're studying for a college exam. We should be reading it to the point where we see and can gaze at God. And his glory. It has to take us over. It has to be um, revealed, so to speak. That's what it means. Gazing as if, almost as if we're looking at God. Because again, love comes from closeness, comes from seeing. How do we see God? By really focusing on what we're saying. So if we, you know, just read through the prayers, zip through the prayers, 
then you haven't done, you're not getting what, what the prayers are meant to do. The prayers are meant to bring you not just, you say, well, why do I need to read the prayers? Right? People say, why do I need to read the prayers? I know this already. And, well, well, and why are all the prayers all talking about God? You know, it's a lot, it's a lot of talk about God. It's a little too much. Well, this is the point. You need to talk about God so that you can come to a point where you not just know about God, but you quote unquote see God. And as I've said many times, the purpose of reading about God is not for God. It's for us. It's for us to be able to appreciate him. He doesn't need all these praises. The praises are to awaken us, to awaken us to his greatness so that we can see him. He gives an example here in, in this paragraph about the difference between gazing. He says, you know, you can look at a piece of art. You can get the general idea of the art. You can even maybe get the scenes in the art, but truly understanding art, which I don't understand. So this is an example for me. But I see some people stare at art because somehow they... Get they get lost in the art. They see the emotion and the feeling and the, and the movement in the in the in the piece of art, right. like the Mona Lisa. Like I don't know, people look at it for hours. I, I don't understand. Okay? Huh? Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't know. It's a picture. It's a picture of Mona Lisa, right? We don't know. It's a picture of Mona Lisa, right? Yeah. I don't know what the big deal is, but artists understand these things, or people who appreciate art. Okay. I've never, I should say, I never attempted to appreciate art, so I can't really tell you. Okay, I like like a nice photo. It's nice. But some people can look at a piece of art and really like get connected with it. This is what it means. We read about God. We don't just want to know about God, no ideas about God. We want to get lost in God, connect with that emotion, connect with the experience. That's called gazing at the glory of God. How do you get there? As he says, this is accomplished through recounting at length the praises of God. And uh, then he gives an idea here. Then he gives a contemplation. And I'm going to explain the contemplation uh, for you. Um, and it's based on the, the, the two paragraphs of the Shema. Sorry, the, the first two sentences of the Shema. Um, there's two ways to look at God. There's looking at God looking, well, I should put it more than two ways, of course, but uh, two general ways that are expressed in the first two sentences of the Shema. There's, so to speak, from God's perspective, and then there's from our perspective. So if we start from God's perspective, we look at it like this. God is, uh, God is one. That means that he existed before the world was, he'll exist after the world will be, and even when the world is, the world is nothing in his presence, Okay. And even though God has myriads of angels and thousands of spiritual worlds all singing his praises, who levada, who God is one, and all of this is not in front of him. Okay? So that's looking at God. That's wow, that's great God. There's all this wonderfulness, and it's all one with God. And that's what it means when we say, here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word echad, it says, what are we supposed to think when we say the word echad when we say Shema? Echad, right? There's the Aleph, which is the one God. The Chet is eight, which means the seven heavens and the one earth. And the Dalad is the four corners. So what we're contemplating is that God's oneness permeates through everything. It's all one with him, even through the seven heavens and the one earth and the four corners, all the four directions, spiritual, physical. It's all not in front of God. Then there's another way of looking at God. The other way of looking at God is us living here in this earth. We live in this giant universe with galaxies upon galaxies, with 
myriads of atoms and protons and neutrons and hot dogs. Hot dogs. <laughs> and hot dogs. Oh, somebody's bringing me back to reality. And hot dogs and Sorellis and all different wonderful things that we have here. Lots and lots of things on this earth. And every every detail of this earth, you can break apart into more and more details. Is it just so vast? Yet our entire world, it says, is just a glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer of God's kingship. So it's not even like sort of quote unquote, you know, direct from God. It's being created from God's malchus, God's kingship. Malchutcha, malchut Your kingship is the kingship of all these worlds. God is beyond the kingship. The kingship is a glimmer, so to speak, a shine, a ray of God. So that's the other way of looking at God. In other words, looking from the bottom up, saying, look at all this vastness we have, but in front of God's oneness, it's nothing. It, it's even, this is just a glimmer of God's kingship. Those are the two ways. That's the Shema. The Shema is, so to speak, looking from top bottom, saying, God, he was one, is one, will always be one. All the vastness that's around him is one with him. And then there's the way of starting from the bottom up, which is easier for us, looking at our vast world and then realizing how it's all just a, a radiation of a radiation of a radiation of God. This is what the Shema and the Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto is. Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuto Lolavad means uh, Baruch. We want to draw down shame, the name, kavod, honor, malchuto, your kingship, lo'olam vad, forever. So again, the focus over there is all about God's name, God's kingship, which means we here are all just drawn from God's name and God's kingship, which is only a glimmer of God himself. When you when you think about God in these two ways, um, these are, these are, again, details, different ways of thinking about God. So, again, you can know about God. But when you think about these details, you realize the greatness of God. How much more are you going to love him? So here, uh, let's read a little bit inside. If I didn't confuse you. Okay, so he says like this. To think deeply into the idea. So, again, the more deeply you think about God, the greater you come to love. You, know, you, you put yourself in that experience. Uh, to think deeply into the idea, for example, your kingship is the kingship of all the worlds. The millions of angels serve him and hundreds of millions of angels stand in awe before you. And only he is one and alone, the only real existence, just as before the world is created. As we say in the Shacharit prayer, you are the only one, are the king who is the life of all worlds. And the true idea of being only one is there is only him and there is no other existence. The idea of the word Echad one is that the Aleph, which stands for oneness, comes into the Ches and the Das, which are the seven heavens and the earth, which together are Ches, which is eight, and the four directions, causing them to become subservient to Hashem's oneness. This further causes that the life force of the heavens and earth ascend to become included in its source. In Hashem, they reconnect to the source. Um, okay, I'm going to skip this next. Then I'm going to go on to... Uh, and then we're going to go to the bottom of page 13. And then now we read Baruch Shem Kvod Malchut Vad. What does Baruch bless draw down into the world of time and space? Olam Vad is only the name of his glorious kingdom since for worlds to come into existence that feel separate from Hashem, it is only possible from the attribute of Hashem's kingship. Okay. <clears throat> so all, all this point, he was just bringing one example of how you can focus on details of God's greatness, but you can focus on many other details of God's greatness. The point was, that when you want to see God, when you want to come to love God, it's not enough to know God. you got to know about details of God, studying about God. And he brought an example 
of ways in which we can appreciate God more. Now he continues. When a person will think deeply into these ideas with the depth of his understanding so that it should be fully revealed in his mind and not just knowledge, this will produce a revealed love for Hashem in his heart so that my soul yearns and longs for God. With this, he will come to actually fulfill the command, you shall love Hashem your God, meaning to actually connect to the infinite one, blessed be as it is written, what do I want in heaven and earth besides for Hashem himself? So what we have done till now, if you haven't noticed, is by explaining Reuven, we have explained the whole beginning of davening. The whole beginning of davening is to reach Reuven. What does that mean? We want to come to a level of seeing, meaning coming to a level of love of God. Through seeing God, we will be able to love God. How do we come to see God? By reading the verses of praise. The multitude of the world. That's the beginning of the verses of praise. Then we get to the multitude of angels, the multitude of heavenly hosts. And it culminates in the meditation of the Shema and the Baruch Shem, the first two sentences of the Shema. And all this brings us to the first paragraph of Shema. Once we, once you've prayed properly, you will get to the Via Hafta. You will get to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Once you've done the beginning of davening properly, once you have prayed with proper devotion and being able to see God, you will be able to reach the Via Hafta Tashem Alokecha. This is something I mentioned many times. Um, originally davening did not was not as long as it is today. Davening used to be just the Amida, then they then the Shema. Then, so they've added all these things to help us reach to the level of love. People used to have love on the, at their fingertips. Maybe they would see God much easier. Today we don't. So in order to get to the level of seeing God, we have to have this lengthy davening, which culminates in the Shema. This is why the Shema's, you know, of the prayer service, the Shema and the Amida are the two most important things. The, the whole beginning of the davening before the Shema is a lead up to the Shema. So people ask, Rabbi, if I have no time, can I just stop in the Shema and the Amida? Yes, you can. It's true. Or maybe two parts, you know, talks about you can even read two parts of the Pesokidism of the verses of praise. But just remember what you're cutting out. This There's a reason, as we'll get to at the end, there's a reason why the prayer service is made like this. There's a reason why the prayer service is made um, to get to a point where you can actually love God. You skip it, it'll be a little bit harder. You do the bridge version, uh, your connection to God will be that much harder to capture. Um, I'm not I'm not judging anybody here. I'm not saying, but uh, if anybody can add into their prayers, make it a little bit longer, give themselves more time to come. By the way, you can also be religious like me and, and read the prayers very fast and also not come to love God. So uh, that's why I said, I'm not judging any of you. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm any better. I could not, I could read, I could read the whole beginning in five minutes and uh, also not come to love God. Huh? I'm so jealous we can get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't be so jealous. You see, <laughs> being able to read fast is not always a good thing. Okay. You see, you see here, uh, I, I can also, I, I can now do the law. Right. This is what I spoke about. Speak about anything. Judaism is not just about a checklist. There's a soul thing. I can I can fulfill the, the official law, but not get to the soul of prayer. I would have missed out on prayer. This is why Hasidim, if they felt that davening later they would be able to get to the soul of prayer, they didn't mind missing the time of prayer, mm -hmm. because if they felt uh, by getting more involved in the, if I wait time I'll be more involved in the prayer, that's okay, because then I'm getting to the real soul of prayer. And getting to what prayer is really meant to accomplish. Now, if you're just going to read the same old prayer, you know, then there's no point. It's like the example is: imagine you come home, and uh, your spouse says, "I'm not going." Your spouse says, "Right, uh, sorry, supper's going to be two hours late." So you're imagining, "Well, it's two hours late. It's going to be an amazing dinner tonight." Wow! <laughs> and then two hours later, you get the same cereal milk or something. You'd be like, "For this, I waited." Right? So the same thing. 
God says, look, I have a time for you when to pray. If you miss that and you come to me with a beautiful prayer, all right, all right, that's okay. I understand why it took so long. But if you wait, you know, if you wait so long to pray, and then when you pray, you give me the same cereal milk, <laughs> throw it back in your face, you know? Okay, God forbid, but I mean, you know, God's not so mean, but I, you, you get the idea. You get the idea. All right. Uh, any questions or comments? Because this this really wraps up Ruvain. Ruvain is seeing. Uh, there is another section of Ruvain here, which we're going to skip. We're going to go to page 20. We're going to go to Shimon already. Uh, any questions or comments before I go to Shimon? Yes. Yeah, go, go. Oh, yeah, what's okay. your question? Why yeah. is it that we start with Ruvain if love is a higher level than fear? Why not start at a lower, quote-unquote, lower level that's easier to achieve from humanity, so from a humanistic point of view, than the higher level? Um, so like, why start at a the why not start at the more elementary level to learn fear and then love as we begin this give us. Um, I forget it. It goes it goes in kind of a cycle, I believe. <clears throat> well, first of all, the lowest level of fear you should have before you start praying. It's probably the reason why you start praying. <laughs> but we're gonna get to a higher level of fear which is the next thing we're going to do. That's Shimon. Mm. So maybe the lower level of fear comes before love, but the higher level of fear comes after love. Mm. Um, okay. All right, that's a, a more of a technical question, which we can answer about that. Okay, let's go, into, uh, let's go into Shimon. So now you know why you pray the whole beginning of the prayers and how it culminates into the Ahafta, or at least you have an idea, even if it's not all super clear to you. So this is what he says, page 20. This is all that the of Uvein seeing, which corresponds to the first paragraph of Shema, which is the aspect of yearning for Hashem. Okay, a yearning, sorry, that was connected with the last paragraph. All right. However, the second paragraph is the level of Shimon. And anybody who's read the second paragraph of Shema will know it starts up with hearing, right? V'haya im Shema'a tishmu. It shall be if you will listen carefully. So here we have already Shimon, which is the second paragraph, Shema, hearing, we see that in the second paragraph of Shema, hearing. What did we say earlier? Hearing is fear. When you're fearful, you move away. Fear implies you're farther. He's going to develop the idea of fear a little bit more. But again, hearing is fear. Fear uh, fear implies you're farther away, as he explains. Because seeing something is only possible when it is nearby, which represents how seeing something brings one emotionally close to it and causes love for it. However, hearing is possible even from far away, and this is this distance causes fear. Um, he gives an example. He says, like, you know, kings in the olden days, nobody ever saw them. You know, not seeing something actually creates a bigger fear, like the Wizard of Oz, right? Uh, you don't see something, it creates a higher level. Once you see it, you can come to more of a love. As it is written, Hashem, I heard a report of you and I became afraid. He's bringing a proof. It says in Habakkuk, I heard a report, of, I heard about you, God, and I became fearful. The shofar is hearing, it brings us fear. Uh, will a will a Nate will will you hear the shofar and not become afraid? Um, why is hearing fear? Why is distance fear? As he explains, I'm going to skip to here. He says because the person puts himself down and tells himself, "For who is it who pledges his heart to approach Hashem?" That's from Jeremiah. This causes that there should come in his heart fear and awe of Hashem. Meaning, when you feel far from God, you fear you feel fearful of God. When you feel distant, you feel undeserving. When you feel not worthy of God, 
you feel a great fear of God. You feel, who am I to get close to God? As he says here, when he realizes the distance between the creation and the creator, especially if one does not feel that he's yet serving God properly, this brings about feeling of entrepidation to approach God in prayer and want to become enveloped in his light. And here he brings an example of Mount Sinai. As I explained to you, the people trembled, they went afar, and then they said they only wanted to hear. They didn't want to see God anymore. They got fearful. They stood far, and um, they didn't want to get close to God. Um, this is the idea. I'm skipping to, uh, if you have the books, this is the idea of... Um, Page 23, the second paragraph of the Shema. Page 23. Yeah. This is the idea of the second paragraph of the Shema, which corresponds to fear of Hashem, as it is written, guard yourself in case your heart becomes tempted to rebel against Hashem. In fact, in fact right, this is actually the idea. If you look in the second paragraph of the Shema, it's all about fear, right? If you don't listen to God, this is what's going to happen to you. The rain won't come in this time. Sorry, well, it says, it says what will happen if you do listen, but punishment is only really first mentioned in the second paragraph of the Shema. It starts off saying what happens if you do listen to God, uh, but then it continues. I'll read the English, the second paragraph of the Shema prayer. Um, um, okay. He shamar lechem, take care lest your heart be lured away and you will turn astray and worship alien gods and bow down to them. For then the Lord's wrath will flare up against you and he will close the heavens so there will be no rain and the earth will not yield its produce. You will swiftly perish from the good land which the Lord gives you. So again, fear, punishment, all appears in the second paragraph of Shema. The second paragraph of Shema is when we accept the principle of reward and punishment for actions and we commit to guard ourselves against sin. This is the ability to guard ourselves from sin. It comes from fear and awe of God. And this is why Leah said, when she named Shimon, for Hashem had heard that I was disliked. And mystically, we could read it, Kishama Hashem, for Hashem has caused me to hear, Kisnua Anochi, because I despised myself. In other words, because I despised myself, I became humble towards God. God enabled me to hear, aka fear him. Is it raining? It is. Oh, interesting. Uh, I hear the rain. I'm fearful of it. I don't see it, so I'm not loving it. All right, so all this is to say. This is like the idea of Tehillim Psalms, one who is embarrassed and despised in his own eyes, meaning that through the awakening from below, that he considers himself despised through the attributes of the left hand that pushes away. Through this, there is drawn down an awakening from above that Hashem will cause me to hear in a manner of hearing from afar, which produces fear in order to bring into a person a higher level of fear of Hashem that is granted a gift from above. So again, when you feel below, that you are far from God, and you feel the fear of um, feeling lowly, feeling on trepidation, God will give you a gift of fear from heaven. Okay? All right, so all this is the first two paragraphs of the Shema. The whole beginning of davening brings you love of God. Can you all hear me through the rain? Can you hear me? Yeah. Then we get to the second paragraph of Shema. We have Shimon, which is fear. And to explain to Jacob, you get to a higher level eventually of fear of God. God will give you the higher level of fear um, of awe, trepidation. But that, you know, first comes from your feeling of feeling inferior, feeling not worthy. Um, how many of us do feel worthy, right? Okay. Um, 
Okay. There's a fear that can come from love. We've explained that in other classes. There's a, there's a, there's a, when you love someone and you appreciate them so much, then because you appreciate them so much, you get, you get an awe of them. Um, we, we explained that. I forget it was a recent class. That's why uh, we don't want to, you know, you know, you don't want to disappoint. So here we had previously, you came to love God so much. Once you came to appreciate God so much, and you came to realize how great God is, then you realize how far, how far you are from him. You can look at it like that. It's an interesting dynamic. You first have to get close to God, seeing God, to feel how far you are from him. When you don't, when you don't think about God so deeply, you're just like, well, God is everywhere. Oh, okay, I'm close to God. When, once you really appreciate God and you've seen him and you love him, love him, see him, now you appreciate him so much and then you realize how far you are. An interesting dynamic. That's why fear in this case comes after love. I think we spoke about that. It's like if you if you see your spouse enough, you appreciate them enough, you'll come to appreciate how much better they are than you. I'm only speaking from my experience. I don't know about yours. <laughs> okay. We'll have, um, huh? we'll have to ask you. Yeah, yeah. Ask my, <laughs> ask my wife if, if I'm just talking to talk or what. You might, have, you might have mentioned that when you were going over the challenges of Yeshkeg within Israel because they're yeah. so supposed to feel connected. Huh? Say that again? Because like Jews in Israel, for instance, I think this is when you- Oh, Jews in Israel. Yeah, because they're constantly surrounded by- a they they're surrounded by God. Things. They don't have to think about yeah. this act of Yeah. All right. So all this is Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain is the love, the whole beginning of davening. Shimon is the fear, the awe, trepidation of God. Once we realize how great God is, we, we have that on fear. As he says, Mi who can go up to the mountain of God? Who can even think of getting close? How am I worthy? this great God. Um, and then he says, what is the next paragraph after the Shema? Obviously, there's the Vayomer, there's the Tzitzis. But what's the paragraph after the Tzitzis? The Tzitzis is really telling us all the mitzvahs of God. What's the paragraph after the Tzitzis? Because he doesn't explain that paragraph here. What's the paragraph after the Tzitzis? Anybody knows? You shall love your God with all your heart and your soul and your might. And these, uh, that's the no. second paragraph of Shema. Oh, that's the second. Sorry, sorry. That's the first paragraph of Shema. Second paragraph of it, if you will listen to the Lord your God or if you won't listen. The third paragraph of the Shema, which actually isn't in the Torah connected, is is uh, okay. about Sitzes. And what's oh. after the Sitzes? What does it mean? Let's take a look. What does Vyatsev and Acho mean? It's on page 25. Um, this matter, MS Vyatsev, this matter that we have said in the Shema, is true, certain, established, everlasting, right, trustworthy, beloved, dear, pleasant, sweet, awesome, powerful, correct, accepted, good, and beautiful to us. And it will be so forever. So again, after we say the Shema, we say we affirm this that we have just said in the Shema is true, it's certain, it's established, it's pleasant, it's sweet, it's awesome. In other words, we're agreeing to everything we said before. And this is Levi. Why is this Levi? What is Levi? Why does Leah name her son Levi? She says, look, remember, she was the hated wife. She says, look, now I've had three kids. Now, finally, my husband will maybe hang out with me. Maybe he'll go to the movies with me. No, okay, not the movies, but... They didn't have movies in those days, but she's saying, maybe now my husband will accompany me. That's what you love that means. Levi means to accompany. Um, 
this represents a special connection with God. We don't just love God. We don't just fear God. We are going to accompany God. That's what Levi represents. Now, what does that mean? How do we accompany God? Through Torah. Through Torah, we can accompany God. Remember we had earlier, we had, uh, we had love on the right, fear on the left, and then there's the middle. This is the same thing that uh, we say in the Shabbos night meal song. We say, in the middle is the bride. Just as a bride is accompanied by two people, one on the right and one on the left, Shabbos is surrounded by the weekdays before and after. It's the bride in the middle. Similarly, once we have the two accompaniments of love and fear in our two sides, then we can accompany God. We can have a marriage to God, as he will explain, which happens through Torah. Um, I'm going to skip. Uh, I'm going to skip. Uh, I'm going to skip to the bottom of page 26. This is like this. The aspect of husband will join me is what we say in Emes Vyatsev, the blessing after the Shema. This matter that we have just said in the Shema is true and certain, which is referring to Torah, which we accept to fill in the Shema prayer, since its source is exceedingly exalted. Again, what do we say in the Shema? The main part of the per first paragraph of the Shema, Bahayu Hadvarma, Yilan, these words which I command you today should be in your heart and your soul and your mind. What are these words? The words of Torah. Torah, right? Even when you sit down, when you rise up, when you lie down, these words have to be with us wherever we go. And so once we finish the Shema, we say, we are affirming that this Torah will accompany us. Okay? We will have the Torah wherever we go. And so this is what he says. This is what a person should take to his heart. Even though I'm not deserving myself to spiritually ascend and become enveloped in the light of Hashem, and to return my divine soul to Hashem from below to above, to reunite it with its source and Hashem who brought it into being. So again, you're saying, I've gone through the steps of prayer. I've come to love God. And once I came to love God, I came to appreciate how I'm so far and fear him. And even though I feel as, as he quotes from the Tehillim, me Allah Bahar Hashem, who can ascend the mountain of God? Then he ends off. But nonetheless, Hashem's infinite light is by itself automatically everywhere, including extending down to the lowest level and dwells and revealed in the Torah. So that Hashem's oneness is experienced above in Atzillus, is revealed through the Torah below in the world just as he is revealed above. So he's saying, if you are like me, you've experienced the love of God in the beginning of the happening and the fear and feeling so far from God, which comes from the love. Now you say, well, how am I ever going to connect to this God? That's why we say, MS Vyatsev, we are affirming that everything that we said above about studying Torah is true. In other words, we are agreeing that we're going to study Torah because when we study Torah, that is how we will actually connect with God. Uh, my husband will accompany me, meaning God will accompany us. Therefore, through the occupation of Torah study, one can actually draw down the revelation of Hashem's infinite light upon his divine soul, reuniting with Hashem's oneness as it was in its original source. In other words, this is what's so special about Torah. People wonder, why did Jews spend so much time studying Torah? This is the answer. Because Torah allows us to connect with God wherever we are, whatever level we're at. Even though, as he says here, even on page 20, even though we may not be on the level to ascend to the higher spiritual worlds to access the revelation of Hashem's infinite light, but we can access his light in Torah study. This is because his light that is hidden in this world is revealed to Torah study, which is Hashem's will and wisdom just as it is in Atzilut. So think about it like this, that 
Torah is God's way of uh, reaching out to us, God's way of saying, I'm coming to you. Who would turn it down, right? Um, not me, right? This is the meaning, he's going to continue inside, bottom of 28. This is the meaning of my husband will join me, meaning that Hashem's infinite light will come down from above to below, right? My husband will accompany me. Who is our husband? God. God will accompany us. This is the meaning of the passage, the MS Vyatsa, the blessing after the Shema. We describe at length how we affirm and establish this matter of committing to study Torah upon us and our ancestors and our descendants from the first generations until the last generations. We draw down from above the ability to experience the Torah is true, certain, established, pleasant, and sweet. We do so in order to draw down Hashem's infinite light to dwell and be revealed in the light of our Torah study. And as he says over here, a person can study Torah as a mere intellectual pursuit without experiencing the divine aspect of it, how it connects him with Hashem. In order to experience Hashem's light in the Torah study, we first need to awaken love and fear of Hashem in prayer. In addition, by reciting the passage of MSV Yatsa, we bring down and connect our connection to Hashem in our prayer with our subsequent Torah study. This enables us to experience how Torah is true and certain and pleasant. It's all 15 descriptions I mentioned in the past. In other words, he's, he's explaining something, saying, well, if you can connect to God just by studying Torah, why do I need to bother praying? So he's saying, if you just study Torah without ever trying to awaken your love and fear of God, your Torah will be devoid of that feeling towards God. It'll be an intellectual pursuit. If you want to make a connection with God in a way that you can feel it, first you need to awaken that love and fear and prayer and you want to connect your prayer and your Torah study. In fact, the sages say, right when you finish praying, you should go to Torah study, at least a little bit, to connect your prayers with your Torah study, because that's the right way to do it, to bring that love and fear of God into your Torah study. Uh, they tell the story. I've told this before, but this is actually very much kind of what we're saying. The story is that the, the Baal Shem Tov one time came into a, uh, into a study hall, and uh, he saw how everybody was studying, and he says... And I think they also pray there. He says, ah, I can't walk in there. They, they tell him why. He says, well, this place is so holy. It's so full of prayers and Torah study. No way I could get in there. When he left, he says, I wasn't giving them a compliment. I was saying, they study and they pray. There's no love of God here. There's no fear of God. There's no nothing that's going to elevate any of all this holy stuff that they do. It's all stuck down here. It's not, not being elevated towards God. Maybe they pray. They pray. It wasn't, not, none of it had to do with God. We have to have our prayers. Prayer leads to Torah study. Torah. Prayer will lead you to Torah study because prayer, once you love God so much and you appreciate him so much and you feel awe and trepidation and feeling how far you are, then you want to connect to God. That's lady. So we have Ruvain is appreciating God. Till we appreciate God, there's nothing what to talk about. Okay, you could have fear of God, right? Fear of God's going to punish you. We're not dealing with that, okay? We're, de we're, de we're, in, the, we're in the big leagues over here, okay? We're mature. You start with Ruvain, you work on seeing god once you see god you come to appreciate him the details you feel that emotional connection after you've fully appreciated god and you see him and you feel love suddenly you could start to feel shimon the fear of god you want to jump back you're like who am i to get close to god this great god and then you say well i can do levy i can study torah and so after you finish saying the shema you've been inspired you commit to yourself true i'm going to study the torah so what is Yehuda? Yehuda is the Amida, right? We've had Reuven, Shimon, Levi. I think you're now, frozen. Prayer is supposed to be all full of emotion. Huh? What? Froze. You froze. Huh? Oh, I froze. Can you see me now? Yeah. 
All right, so Can Yehuda you say that again? Yehuda is the Amida. The Amida is a very interesting feature. The rest of davening can be loud, movement. If you go to some Hasidic circles, you see they move around a lot during the whole prayers, and they scream and they shout sometimes. The Amida is very quiet. It's calm. It's collected. What's the difference? Because Ruvain, Shimon, Levi is all emotion. Emotion is passionate, powerful, want to connect, want to bond. There's movement, there's power, there's talking, there's moving. What's one of the major features of the Amida? Is bowing, submission. In other words, you come to a point where you say, all right, um, I can connect to God, but I've only appreciated aspects of God. Even if I contemplate during my prayers, I appreciate one aspect of God. God himself is way beyond whatever I can understand. Give an example. Uh, like a soul. A soul fills our body in two different ways. The soul gives different powers to different parts of our body. Then the soul vivifies our entire body. Okay? So similarly, God gives different uh, power to the world in different areas. But then there's God himself, which is much greater than anything that we know. We can connect to aspects of God. We spoke about this in our My God course, right? There, You can appreciate... Parts of God Himself we can never fully appreciate, but there is one way we connect. We can connect to God Himself by saying, "I cannot appreciate God entirely. I can only submit myself towards God. I can only bow down in front of God, realizing that I am uh, in submission towards God. That's what I can do. There I can be." Um. And this is what he explains in here. This is also known in Hasidic parlance as Mamali and Soviv. So um, let me look. Uh, let, let, he brings an example here in this book. I'm going to skip to page 31. <clears throat> to try and uh, give this idea over. It's hard to describe because we're basically trying to say that everything that we do in Reuven, Shimon, Levi, love and fear and, and prayer, we're always trying to connect to an aspect of God. Torah maybe not as much, but um, we want to get to connect to God beyond any details of God. And the only way to do this is by, so to speak, giving up. So let's read this. The aspect of Yehuda, which is the idea of humble submission and gratitude, this aspect enables the person to actually lose himself to become part of the infinite light of Hashem that encompasses all the world. So he gives an example here. When a private person works hard to become a soldier in an army, he loses his previous identity as a private individual and now becomes part of something much greater than himself. Similarly, when a Jew works hard to dedicate himself to Hashem with humility, submission, and total devotion, he loses his previous identity as being just a person and now as a part of armies of Hashem and a vital part of how Hashem's bigger picture is coming to fruition. He represents not just a limited light that is revealed in the creator worlds, he now represents Hashem himself as he encompasses and transcends all the worlds. In that sense, it elevates a person to a much deeper connection to Hashem than through love, fear, even Torah study. Love, fear, and Torah study will only allow you to connect to a part of God, the part that you understand, the part that you appreciate part that you connect to, the part of God that connects to us in this world, that is revealed to us in this world. The Amida, when you submit yourself, then you can submit yourself to God totally because you're enveloping, you're saying, I'm submitting to whatever you are, to your entirety. This aspect uh, is expressed in the Shemona Esri when we bow down to God. Bowing shows complete submission and negation of all ego. This shows on, the total, on a level of total selfless devotion to Hashem himself who encompasses and transcends all the worlds. The culmination of the prayer service is reached. 
is to reach the Shimona Esrei. After the service of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi and the Shimona's blessings before and after, we can reach the level of Yehuda, which is Huda, humble submission and gratitude to Hashem. This is also why the prayer of the Shimona Esrei is recited quietly in a whisper. I want to give an interesting example. Um, excitement, emotion, you are connecting to aspects. And quietness is when you're connecting to the whole person. And I'm going to give an interesting example. Um, intimacy. According to, um, I don't know if it's Jewish law or mystical Jewish teachings, I forget which one, but it says that an intimacy, the, the actual moment of intimacy, one is to remain quiet, completely quiet. No talking, completely quiet. Why? As we're explaining here, this is exactly what we're explaining here. The emotion and the excitement and the passion that comes before is all connections to elements of the person you're being intimate with. But at a, the moment of full and total intimacy, at that moment, you are connecting to the whole person in their entirety. And therefore, there cannot be speaking because if there's talking, it's a connection to a certain aspect, a certain element. Quiet means you are connected to the person in their entirety. And so that's the same thing. Shimon Ezra is our intimate moment with God. Loud. Emotions. Fiery passion. All of that happens previously in the Amida. We're connecting to God himself. God in his totality. We put the emotion aside. It's a moment of submission. Total connection. Which is quiet. Bowing. Submission. Just. As an aside, by the way, that's why also in the Kabbalah says that the room should be completely dark at that moment. Because again, you don't want to get sidetracked by elements of the other person. You want complete connection. When, when, when it's not dark, you can be sidetracked by certain elements. So at that exact, again, we're not talking about before, but during that, but during the moment, it should be dark and quiet because it's a complete oneness. You can have a class on uh, marriage another time. But uh, if you ever want, you can look up Manus Friedman. He gives uh, lengthy explanations and all these things. But uh, that's your short your short lesson on this. But we're today talking about intimacy with God. And in intimacy with God, it's, it's the same idea, which, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an intimate moment with God. And so therefore, we're not going to get sidetracked by elements about God. It's an intimate moment with God. It's quiet. We're not disturbed. There's actually laws about not disturbing people during their Amidah. You're not supposed to walk in front of them when somebody's praying the Amidah. A little difficult in our soul sometimes, but uh, just telling you the law. You're not supposed to walk in front of other people, disturb them. It's a moment of quiet and, and full submission. Um, okay. So let, let's read a little bit more. Um, okay, he says, This is why the prayers of Monastery are recited quietly in a whisper, since it is a connection to Hashem as he encompasses all the world above and beyond the limitations of the spiritual hierarchy of the worlds. I'm not going to read the other Hebrew words over there. And it is not at all in the category of light that can be drawn down and given over below in the Revelation creator words. And one cannot connect Hashem on that level in any manner of love. One can only connect Hashem on the level with the absolute submission and negation of ego. This is the idea of the person actually giving over himself over to his father in heaven so that he literally feels like nothing, having his own independent significance before God. And this is what the idea of bowing in the Amida expresses. It is like one who bows before their king. He completely humbles himself before God. However, for this level, Yehuda, which is humble submission and gratitude to be directly experienced in a manner of you, meaning that he should experience it in a fully revealed manner, as if he can see it directly, 
For that to happen, there needs to be your brothers will bring you to submission. Remember, it says, Yoducha Achecha, your brothers will bring you to submission. This is what it means. Yehuda, Ata Yoducha Achecha, Yuda, your brothers will bring you to submission. We said earlier, Yehuda came after the first three sons. In order to get to submission, we first have to have Reuben, Shimon, and Levi. Why? As he explains, for without first having the aspects of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, one cannot bring out this aspect of Judah, which has the ability to lose oneself and become part of the truth of Hashem in a revealed manner, only in a hidden and subconscious manner. And here he explains. He gives an example. So let me explain. We're talking about submission. Think about it. Didn't I submit to God when I said Moda'ani in the morning? Why is the Amida different than the Moda'ani? So he explains. On a subconscious level, every Jew has a hidden capacity of total devotion to Hashem to the point of self-sacrifice. This is expressed in the first prayer of the day, Moda'ani. As soon as he wakes up, he declares his humble gratitude and devotion to Hashem before he can think about anything in depth, as if instinctively. However, he is not fully conscious of the true intensity of his devotion to Hashem until Shimon Esrei. Um, and here explains. This is why you cannot get to the Amida until you pray the beginning prayers. And he says, even Mincha <laughs> is a continuation of the morning prayers. And that's why in Myriv, we repeat the Shema again, because we need to awaken ourselves when we say the blessings of the Shema. We need to wake ourselves up again. Um, I'd like to see them. And one who is wise will understand. <laughs> the one who is wise will understand. Yeah, which basically is okay. Let me let me. Uh, I know we're running out of time. Let me read this over here. Let me just let me just explain the mode. Let me just explain the mode on anything a little bit more, and then we'll then we'll get back to how the prayers are structured. Page thirty-five over here, second paragraph. We mentioned before that the first prayer of the day is modani. I thankfully, humbly acknowledge and devote myself to Hashem. This is the first and seemingly lowest level of connection to God. We say this prayer while our hands are impure before washing our hands, and therefore we are fully conscious of the meaning of what we are saying. Uh, sorry, before we are fully conscious. This represents our most basic level of humble devotion to God as a simple servant that obeys his master without understanding the reasons for his tasks and what they accomplish. So again, a simple servant is also has submission. But the highest level of prayer is the Shimon Esrei, when we experience our devotion to Hashem so completely that stand in attention without moving around and whisper our prayers and bow down to Hashem, showing our absolute negation of ego in the very presence of God. The negation of ego and feeling that we have no existence other than being Hashem's agent in this world only comes after all the previous levels of prayer. This includes the morning blessings, studying Hasidus, Pesukei de Zimra, reciting the Shemana's blessings, and the accompanying mental focus on the meaning. Um, and this is what he explains. So the point is that um, a simple servant also has submission, but it's not like a minister who has real submission to the king. Totally different level. The minister who has an appreciation for the king, has a real, they really can, uh, you know, brings to mind, right, the joke that uh, I think Ro Robert said at Shul, right? Who does, you know, look at who thinks they're nothing, right? Right? But it's it's a true idea, is that to really feel full submission consciously, you first have to appreciate God a little bit more. So this is why we need all the prayers in order to get to the Amida. Uh, otherwise, it's it's uh, it's very subconscious. It's not a it's not a submission towards God that's going to carry you throughout your day. And uh, I'm going to have to end off the end outside because uh, we've run out of time, but. Um, he explains the end of the verse. So we said, Yehuda, your brothers cause you to reach the level of submission. 
Okay, so again, you first have to have the davening. You first have to have the love of God, which leads to that fear and awe trepidation of God, which leads to also a commitment to studying Torah. But ultimately, we get to a point where we want to fully connect to God, and we can only do that through submission towards God. And that submission towards God, where we feel a part of God, only when we reach there, that will allow us to get to the final part, which is as it ends off in the verse of Jacob's blessings, Yadcha ba'oref ovecha. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. What are our enemies? Is basically our our day to day life. This is what enables us to go through life. What's our enemy? The world around us. Again, what are we supposed to do after we pray? Study a little bit of Torah. What are we supposed to do after that? Go out into the world. Again, this is the view of Judaism. Every day we pray, then we go out into the world, and it's hard. How do we bring this devotion of God into the rest of our day? And he explains. That only once you've reached a level of submission towards God can you bring God into the rest of your day. Why? He explains. Because only at the level of God, which is beyond the world, is spiritual and physical the same. You can see this actually. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna read this from the bottom of uh, page 40. If you have the if you have the book here, so he says like this: only once you read, in other words, when you love God. You feel like, oh, work is getting in the way of my love of God. When you fear God, you definitely feel like this is definitely getting in the way of my service of God. When you get to submission of God, meaning understanding God as, as he's beyond this world, then physicality, spirituality, it can be all godly, as he explains. Um, uh, page 40 at the bottom. This is like this. Uh, so he says, it's going to sound like it's in the middle of something. He says, who represents humble submission and devotion in a way of total bittal, total nullification to Hashem, as he encompasses all the world, and he is equally found everywhere, and compared to him, everything else is equally insignificant. And darkness does not conceal anything from him, since before darkness and light are equal. Again, in front of God, dark is light, light is dark. God himself. When we submit ourselves to God, God himself is greater than all our classifications. And similarly, physical and spiritual are equal. Since you, Hashem, have made all the levels of... In other words, if so, as he read, as he continues, if so, this is on page 41, then even eating and other physical matters are considered before Hashem as equally important as the spirituality of wisdom, since before him, wisdom is just like a physical object. And this is what he's saying. Once you reach a point that you've come to submission of God, You've come to appreciate God in his totality, submission to God in his totality, which is the highest form of God beyond the malchus, beyond the kingship of this world, then nothing in life faces you. So what, what does it mean practically? We wake up in the morning, we first submit ourselves to God, but we're submitting like a simple servant. Then we work on ourselves, on our love towards God, on our on trepidation and fear of God, our commitment to study of Torah, to connect with this great God. And then finally, we say, but all this is levels of God, I want to submit myself towards God himself. And once you've done it on that, your prayer, you can take that to the rest of your day. Because now that you've appreciated that God is, this great God is beyond anything you can imagine. Now I can sit and see God in everything I do. Once you come to the level of submission, nothing is a barrier to God. When you love God, you might feel spirit. God is found in the spirituality. He's not found in the physical. Maybe he creates it, but I don't feel him there. I feel God maybe in the Torah. Submission towards God means I can feel God everywhere. 
you know, maybe if you want to bring an example from uh, spouses, a real marriage is when you're you're connected at all moments to an extent because you are one soul. People who just have certain emotions or infatuation, uh, it's it's uh, it's connected to certain aspects of their lives. But be that as it may, this is how we can go about our day and not be phased by anything that we see, because um, we recognize and appreciate. We've come to the level of the Amida. We bow and submit ourselves to God, and we say, God, it's all godly. It's all you. Everything's what, you. What we say here, I think we say, yeah. in one part, we say, I put God before me at all times. Huh? I put Hashem before me at all times. God is in front of me at all times. And it also says, uh, everything is equal in front of God is another meaning of it. But the point is, that um so what do we gain from today again we gain how we live our lives so now you understand the jewish day the jewish day we start up with prayer to awaken ourselves first we start as a simple servant then we get to the love the fear the commitment to study the submission to, towards god himself mm -hmm. the one that we'll never understand no aspect of god god himself submission bowing moment of oneness and we can bring that throughout the rest of our day um when you bring God into your business, that's an expression of submission towards God. That's an expression of submission towards God because it's not easy. If you're truly a spiritual person, it's not easy to bring God into your business. Um, but that's a level of submission towards God, recognizing that everything is godly. And two more times a day, we have to re-stir the pot to reawaken our submission towards God. One time is at Mincha. That's why it's in the middle of the business day to remind you, hey, don't get caught up in your business. Don't get caught up in your work. Don't get caught up in your taxes. Don't get caught up in your pool. Don't get caught up in your school. Don't get caught up in your hockey games. Submission. Okay? You can do all those things, but uh, it's all part of your one God. And then again, it comes night. Maybe our morning devotion is worn off a little bit. So we have a little bit blessings of Shema and the Shema itself to reawaken the Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. And then we do the Amida again. Then we go to sleep and it starts over again every single day. And uh, this is our this is our life and our lot in life. He does mention one other thing uh, in the in the mimer, which we won't get today. But he also discusses how the acts of kindness are also important um, because they will also help you reach this. They will also help you have love and fear of God. Um, but we're not going to get into how that's connected because that's way too long. But I just want to point out: don't think Judaism skips out. Don't think he skips out in here. The other pillar of Judaism, because we've had prayer, we've had Torah study, uh, there's also mitzvahs, meaning good deeds. Gemilat uh, chasadim are also an important aspect. Uh, in other words, so you might tell Rabbi, well, I'm, I'm, I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm going to business and I don't feel that close. Maybe you're missing out to the tzedakah. That's why it says we're supposed to give tzedakah before we daven. And he also connects it to the verses. So hopefully today you understand a little bit more Ruven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. You see how the verse Yehuda your brothers bring you to this level. Through having Yehuda, our neck will be on the, our, our sword will be on the neck of our enemies. We can conquer this world through having the submission. And uh, we repeat the prayer a couple times a day, the Amida prayer, to always keep bringing us that level of Yehuda into our lives. Right. And, and uh, we're going to end the recordings. <laughs> huh? Wake up early. <laughs> now you all have to wake up early, right? <laughs> Uh, 